What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Kicking Out at Two. I'm your master of ceremonies, your host, hopefully the guy that steers the ship in the right direction. I'm Dave Rosenbluth, and we've got an exciting show planned for you. As Justin's returning, and he's going to help me introduce the very first installment of our Trading Places series covering SummerSlam 1997. Now, you're probably wondering, well, guys, didn't you cover that last week? Didn't we do a watch along? And yes, we did. And I thank you all for tuning in, listening, and watching along with us on the WWE Network. But we're going to take a different approach with uh, the, the 1997 edition of SummerSlam. We're going to go on a different route, an alternate angle, if you will, a little role reversal. Uh, but before Justin explains uh, the 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 idea behind that concept, there's a few things I need to get off my chest, like... Social media is where you can find Kicking Out at Two. Head on over to Facebook right now, facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out at Two. You'll be able to find pictures, videos, debates, discussions, articles, retro throwback pro wrestling content at your fingertips. And the fun, it doesn't end there because we also got a Twitter too. So give us a follow, all right, on Twitter. Okay, our handle is at Kicking Out Two. That's K I C K N O U T, and the number two. The same madness that we're creating on Facebook. Well, we're going to do it on Twitter, but 140 characters or less. So, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter right now. And with that being said, I feel the need that you know every once in a while, not a whole lot on kicking out at two, but every once in a while here on this program, I'm going to feel the need to establish. Uh, you know, address, if you will, some certain elephants in the room that have taken place in the world of wrestling in, in recent memory. This week, uh, these are some good elephants, in my opinion. These are some positives because you hear a lot of negative when it comes to people talking about wrestling. Um, like I said, not a whole lot are we going to be doing this, but when it's warranted, I'm going to feel the need to address this on this forum. So. I know that this is a retro pro wrestling podcast, and I'm going to keep it that way. I'm not going to steer off into a different direction and, and talk about the current day stuff, but I'm going to address it a little bit at the top of the at the top of the program. A roll call, if you will, I guess if that's what you want to call it. Uh, let's let's begin with uh, this past Sunday's Impact Wrestling Slammiversary event from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I didn't get to watch the whole show. I watched a few matches, but I've read a lot of rave reviews. I've saw some clips and highlights a home run all around uh, from what i watched i was thoroughly entertained i really enjoyed the eddie edwards tommy dreamer match the house of hardcore match i really enjoyed the sammy callahan pentagon jr mask versus hair match i thought that was a wild match with pentagon jr coming out the victor my first time watching uh, sammy callahan and pentagon jr in singles action I've seen some of their stuff in Lucha Underground, but I didn't get to watch a full match. This was the first time I did it, and I was thoroughly entertained. And then I got to watch the Austin Aries Moose Impact World Championship match. And uh, I didn't think I was going to like it because of the, the, the two different styles and the size difference. But, man, Austin Aries, he's a stud. Like, you know, he's just, he's just the man. 
he's definitely one of the most talented wrestlers out there and the glue that's kind of holding it together for impact wrestling ever since he left wwe recently and he's become the belt collector winning championships all over the world and bringing that to impact wrestling really helping make that brand and that promotion prominent again um it's just been uh, nice to see uh, from from my vantage point i haven't got to see a whole lot of impact wrestling in the last year i don't get their channel uh, the channel that it's on that carries the show but i try to follow as much as i can on social media and on youtube if i hear of a good match or a promo or things like that I'll, I'll i'll check it out it's just nice that uh you know coming off this event that you know the, the the company seems to be on the rise and i'm very happy for them i was a big tna fan back in the day they were arguably the second largest company in the wrestling landscape behind wwe for a long period of time and uh, I was a big fan, and I was sad that the company was on a downward spiral at one point uh, with with management issues, ownership changes, television contract issues, guys weren't getting paid, their future was up in the air, and from what I watched Sunday night and the reports I've been hearing, it sounds like that, you know, things are on the up and up and I'm glad to hear that, that things are doing well for them. So, uh, kudos to impact wrestling and, uh, thank you for entertaining the hell out of me. I'm going to try and watch the entire show later this week when I have some time, but, uh, you know, onward and upward with the positive forward momentum for all you guys at impact wrestling. Now on the other side of the spectrum, we have the well-known WWE, which uh, this past week on Monday Night Raw, the McMahon family addressed uh, the, the, the WWE audience with a major announcement as they announced the first ever all-female pay-per-view event titled Evolution, which is set to take place October the 28th from Long Island, New York at the Nassau Coliseum. Uh, they had the girls from Raw and SmackDown on stage as well as the Raw roster. The audience was pretty pumped for this announcement, and uh, I think it's a good thing. Uh, women's wrestling in WWE has certainly progressed within the last three years. It went from being, you know, eye candy and filler and, you know, a popcorn segment or a bathroom break to being, you know, destination television on their programming. So. Uh, these these girls, you know, went from being bimbos and 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 having pillow fights and lingerie matches to having respectable, you know, wrestling contests and being seen on the same level as the guys, which I think is really cool. It's a, definitely a big step in the progress that they've made as to how they portray the women. And with the positive reviews that I'm giving and from what I've seen in the wrestling world regarding this announcement, there's going to come some negative, which I want to address that briefly. Uh, I think there's some fans out there that are nitpicking this a little too much and not from the sense that they don't want to see an all women's wrestling event because I think they do. But I just think that, you know, they're they're downplaying the importance of this announcement uh, based on prior events that had taken place impact wrestling ring of honor shimmer they've all done all women's events whether it's pay-per-views or live events or whatever the case is and they're trying to downplay the importance of this announcement by wwe uh stephanie mcmahon at one point um made uh, made mention that this was a groundbreaking announcement and i personally think it is just in the within the the 
the context of WWE, not just the wrestling industry in itself, but, you know, like I said, because of the progress that they've made with women on television in the last three years since they've really put more focus on them in the programming. But apparently fans out there want to blast it and shit all over it and say, you know, well, Impact Wrestling did it first and Ring of Honor did it first and Shimmer, you know, does it on a weekly basis. And I'm not discrediting what they've done because I think TNA, Impact Wrestling, whatever you want to refer to them as, they, you know, they did right by the women when they created that knockouts division in 2007. They've consistently put the women in a, you know, in a positive spotlight on their programming and made them a, a, a serious focal point of it. And they've done a great job of it. You know, WWE's late to the party with this, with, with the women, but they're doing it. And I think they're doing a great job of it. I really think that within the last three years, they've really helped establish the importance of women's wrestling on their programming and uh, for fans to nitpick it and, you know, get technical and say, you know, that, 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 you know, this isn't a groundbreaking announcement because other companies have done this before. I just think that's stupid and bullshit. And that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast, because I wanted to project positivity when it comes to talking pro wrestling, because you hear too many podcasts out there that are just negative and people complaining and bitching. And, you know, this guy deserves a push and this guy, you know, he can't wrestle. And what the fuck are they doing? You know, I'm so sick and tired of hearing all that stuff. I really am. And, you know, in instances like this, I felt the need I had to address the, um, the negativity. I think it's bullshit. I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of the, the, the announcement that was made. And I think it's going to be a damn good show. I mean, you're going to have all the women from Raw, all the women from SmackDown, the girls from NXT. Maybe you'll see some of the girls from the Mae Young Classic. I mean, the, the finals of the Mae Young Classic is set to take place. The three women's titles are going to be defended. Uh, women from the past. I mean, I've heard Trish Stratus, the Bellas, Lita. Uh, names like that are going to be involved in this show. Uh, I've even heard a rumor that the MMA Four Horsewomen are, are going to, you know, make an appearance and this could set something up down the line with the WWE's four horse women. So I think it's going to be a, a, a hell of a show and, you know, all hands are on deck and I don't see WWE disappointing you know, right out the gate with this first women's event. So with that being said, now that I got all of that out of the way, the social media plugs, the roll call, it's time for the main event. Trading Places series here on Kicking Out at Two is going to consist of, well, you know what, why don't you, you know, since this is a concept you came up with, um, why don't you tell our listeners what the Trading Places series consists of here on Kicking Out at Two? Um, you know, I, as we kind of like bounce ideas off each other, what seems like on a daily basis, I feel like, you know, one of the things that was important to you as you put kicking out it two together was, you know, I don't want to come off like I know better. I don't want to fantasy book. I don't want to, I don't want to, well, I would have done this. And, you know, there's enough of that out there in the podcast world. And if that's your deal, go find it, get away from us, but please stay. Yeah. Um, I felt like, you know what, why don't we just take any old show? doesn't have to be, you know, and in fact, many times shouldn't be, you know, the more acclaimed, you know, episodes of, you know, a pay-per-view or a WrestleMania even. Just take any old show, you know, any old pay-per-view and look at that card up and down and just take all the win-losses and, and trade them, reverse them, flip them. And how would that 
change the landscape of a maybe that program that you know or the landscape of wwe you know would they would a guy's career be made would it be broken um you know would they would the direction of the company be different moving forward and i think that just that's a nice little interesting aspect to look at especially years later because damn minutes after a guy loses on facebook you you know there's a whole their their program through wrestlemania is charted out as far <laughs> as what's going to happen because they lost um but i think we can do that here 20 years later in this episode at least because we can look at what happened later on and wonder how all of that changed and i thought to me personally it was a, a different spin on fantasy booking a show because we're not we're not theorizing or picking who's going to win and how we would book them more so as we're going to look at how they how reversing the decision would just change you know what Vince McMahon had in store because you know what who's to say that you know sneak into it a little bit here who's to say that Stone Cold Steve Austin couldn't childishly roll up Owen Hart and he had to take a fall and not be Intercontinental Champion how's that change uh, what happens moving forward for Stone Cold Steve Austin in the WWE. So that's kind of my theory on this concept. And, you know, we're going to give it a shot here and see where it goes. Well, I think the, con I mean, first of all, thank you very much for creating the concept because I think it definitely goes along with, you know, my thoughts and my vision for this podcast. Because like you said, I don't want to come off like an expert because I'm not an expert. I'm just a fan. We're both just fans here. Okay. And I don't want this show to be like every other show that's out there where it's, well, I do this better and this guy should get a push and who, what the hell are they thinking putting this guy on TV? stuff like that you know i don't want to do that because there's so much of that out there that creates so much negativity when it comes to just having a normal conversation with wrestling fans and i feel like at least from you know an outsider's perspective because you've gone to the last few wrestlemania stories i've heard from from ken and the ken reedy show that you know conversations with some wrestling fans at you know wrestlemania weekend regarding some of the guys and some of the stuff of the current product can get very hostile just for people having opinions you know in, in a verbal sense so uh can i, can I say one yeah. little thing about that yeah so and i think i even posted it on facebook so as it relates to this past wrestlemania new orleans headlined by brock and roman reigns I think everybody and their mother believed that Roman Reigns was going to win that match. But as that match started, as I'm sure people who watched it, you know, on the WWE Network, they they saw an instant backlash from the audience. And as someone who sat in, in the Superdome that night, it was kind of embarrassing. Um, the crowd kind of tried its best to take over that WrestleMania and, and in many words, you know, many ways send a message to, to management about their displeasure with what headlined. Obviously, Brock Lesnar won, which was a, uh, to me, a pro move by Vince McMahon to throw everyone for a loop, myself included. Um, but I recall leaving the arena that night, and it was a it was a rainy night in New Orleans, walking back, and you know the thousands of people are pouring down the streets, and I heard a kid walking with who I presumed to be his dad, and he just looked at his dad or whoever that adult figure was and said that this was the best birthday present I've ever gotten, <laughs> and honestly. That's what WrestleMania is all about. You know what I mean? WrestleMania to me, and I know we're not talking, you know, we're going to talk SummerSlam here, but WrestleMania to me and, and any, you know, it's, 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 it might as well be my birthday again. It might as well be Christmas. That's what WrestleMania is all about. That little kid who couldn't have been more than 10 years old enjoyed the hell out of WrestleMania 
and it wasn't because Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns main evented it. It wasn't because Brock Lesnar won the title and, and to the shock of the world, you know, at least as far as, you know, insider fans were concerned. Um, it was just because of what the spectacle it, it, it brings was. And I just thought that was just such a very, I don't know, I just was happy to be there to hear that because that's, that is what, what it what going to a WWE event is at 10 years old I would have said that if I was in that kid's position like, you know what like I mean that kid got Wrestlemania as his birthday present yeah I got my first one as my Christmas present and every year after I've gone and I'm hooked um but again like you said it's just this I think we would have all said that and it just it was a nice reminder in all the madness of people just stopping traffic in downtown New Orleans saying you know in their displeasure with everything there was this it, that's just the one thing that caught my ear was just this one kid man that again and i quote this was the best birthday present ever so um just a nice little bring your back bring yourself back reminder of why you got it why we got all into this yeah was to 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 hear and see kids that kid may never go to another wrestling event again but he got to see that he went to wrestlemania yeah do you know what i mean that does it right there yeah and 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 that was that was role reversal come to life or trading places come to life right there well, why don't, why don't we get started here? Sure. Yeah, why don't we discuss yeah, the opening match from SummerSlam 1997? It was uh, Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the 1990... We can't call him Triple H yet. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Cause <laughs> it, yeah, because that, that's, that, that's the theme. The You're right. The King of the Ring. The King of the Ring. 19, the 1997 King of the Ring, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, accompanied by his bodyguard, China, faces mankind inside of a steel cage to open up SummerSlam 1997. And as history saw it, mankind came out the victor with an elbow drop off the top rope or off the top of the cage down to Hunter and then exiting the cage for the victory. Now, like I said, history saw it, mankind the victor. But you, Triple H, take, take it from here. Triple H, let's say he wins the match. What direction do both of those guys go moving forward from that match? In your mind, I think you know what, and that's the beauty of what we of what happens on a night to night basis. I don't. You could take the same finish and just just tweak it a little bit. And I think you know that end of that match, mankind had the match won. He he, he crawled down the cage and he was ready to jump and have both feet touch the floor and to be announced the winner. And he climbed back up, dropped that elbow and, and to, to pay tribute to Superfly. I think you would have seen, at least maybe in a 2018 finish, you would have seen a mankind miss that elbow drop. And, and, and you would have had a, a character who would have probably been appealed to on a more Jeff Hardy-like, reckless sense. And you would have had a Triple H who would have probably still continued to ride the coattails of what would become Degeneration X, but I think he would have had a, a Triple H who would have had, he would have been, he would have been able to look down on a guy like Mankind and people like Mankind, because that would have been the, 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 uh, the attachment. He would have looked at someone like Mankind and said, you just want to go for the flair for the dramatic. You just want to realize your dreams. You just, with no sense of, of time and place. And, you know, you, you just, you know, you like the rest of these people wouldn't, couldn't get the job done because you would have let emotions, you know, escape and, and take you away. And, 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 and Triple H being a more calculated, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who become Triple H, is a more calculated performer 
Um, could have really, I think, played well into that. But again, I think as we move into, and again, this may not be the first, the best example to start the, the concept, but I think it would have really expedited what Triple H became, which was just this very cunning character that could really attack at the weakness of an individual, even on an emotional level. And I think he would have done that with Mankind. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, I mean, as far as that goes, how would you see Mankind really reacting to a defeat? You know, would he have wallowed himself or would if he have gone in and, and maybe been a little more man, mankind, like more, a little more manic or sadistic? I don't know. Um, I, I think he would have kind of, I, I think, I think the mankind character would have probably wallowed in defeat because of that big moment that he had dreamed of, you know, leading up to that match, the, the, the video packages and the interviews with Jim Ross and highlighting his, uh, his, his teenage years jumping off the, the roof of his house onto a mattress because of his, his, uh, his, uh, his idolizing of Jimmy Snuka doing that to Don Morocco at Madison Square Garden. I feel like he would, he felt like he would come up short because he didn't live up to that moment of, you know, executing that elbow drop off the top of the cage. And I feel like instead of him becoming more sadistic as mankind, it would almost, it would almost spark more of a, um, more of a, um, Resurgence of du- of the dude love character. Now, do you think that they would have felt more? The audience would have felt more sympathetic towards uh, towards mankind for coming up short. You know, you hear a lot of you know people questioning booking decisions as far as why did this guy lose and why did this guy you know why he should have won. He was debuting, and and a lot of times you hear as far as that goes is we wanted to book him as someone fighting underneath, which I always thought was an amazing amazing concept as far as booking is concerned in wrestling not that i have any knowledge in that just based on what other people say but do you think that the the audience would have galvanized and been underneath mick foley and kind of risen him to that level of just trying to get back at triple h or try to, to try to overcome that shortcoming yeah i think they would have definitely been more sympathetic because of his shortcomings uh, you they were they were already sympathetic at that time uh, heading into that match by those interviews that he had with Jim Ross and the, the stories that his character had told as a child with the eating of the worms and the story that he had told where he wanted to be just like Shawn Michaels and even though he didn't look like Shawn Michaels, you know, he wrestled like Shawn Michaels, he still idolized and wanted to be that that heartthrob that all the women, you know, wanted to be with and all the guys wanted to be. So I mean, I feel like he had some some very sympathetic features to his character that in in the the uh the action of defeat, you know, losing to Triple H in that match, I definitely feel like the audience would have definitely gotten behind him more. Um, and he, I, I still think he would have been as successful, uh, even if he lost that match moving forward. But I, I feel like in some ways his losses in his career ha- were more victories for his character than anything else. That's a great point, actually. You know, his, um, so I feel like if, if he lost that match – you know, it would have been a launching point for the audience to really get behind him even more because he had lost the King of the Ring match mm-hmm. two months prior. The Calgary Stampede match, the both of them, it was a double count out, I believe, or some kind of schmoz finish where they, they didn't have a decisive winner. And then this cage match, that moment in the tri-state area, climbing up top, rips off the shirt. He's got the heart like dude love. He's, he's ready to elbow drop Triple H just like his hero Jimmy Snooker did. And then, boom, he misses. 
and Triple H capitalizes on mankind's shortcomings to end up becoming the victor of that cage match, whether he won by a pinfall or whether he escaped the cage, whatever the case is, I really feel like that law, if, if it were to have been a, a mankind loss, he would have benefited from that greatly. Um, yeah, no, I, I, part of me wants, again, and I'm stuck in 2018, but I just, I, like, part of me thinks, like... It's retro. You can't be stuck in 2018. <laughs> part of me, part of me thinks that the audience would have started to possibly wane on him and say, where's this monster that we got? You know what I mean? He, he, he's trying to be this sympathetic figure and look where it got him. Um, that's just me. And I think it would have actually probably helped Triple H more um, because, um, again, Triple H would have preached a lot, I feel like, about what winners do. And while winners are not necessarily the most likable figures in sports or entertainment or whatever, I feel like, you know, it could have been a very interesting time for, for mankind and his character if he had lost. Um, but at the same time, he needed that victory in that, in that, in that arena, in that region, like you said. That's his hometown. That's his, that's his home region. Um, and in old school wrestling fashion, you might as well, you got to give the baby face the, 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 the win there. Yep. So they, they went with the right move, but to, to stay in lockstep with what we're talking about here, I hold reservations for how much faith they would have kept in his character uh, moving forward. Uh, because honestly, again, this is just my offhand recollection, but he was very lackluster you know like how would that have affected his cactus jack character what if what does he lose and then become cactus jack realizing you know what i gotta i gotta go back with what was working yeah you know what i mean that's another aspect again yeah looking ahead does he go back and just say you know what off with this mask and i'm i'm cactus jack is back because even though he was cactus jack and they had the great master square garden episode after that he didn't really do a whole lot until Ooh, I mean, he kind of bounced characters yeah, around like he, with the new age. Like he was, he I think he had he three, closed out the year with really nothing special after that. With the new age outlaws, he had some of the, like the Terry Funk stuff, his yeah. Chainsaw Charlie. Like they kind of had that, you know, that tag team with Cactus and Chainsaw going. But uh, I, I feel like either you know a, a mankind loss in that match would have either been a, a big resurgence for uh, you know dude love because the dude wouldn't fail. You know, the, the dude's hip and cool. The dude's got it together. Um, or Cactus, who, you know, is all business and doesn't care what he looks like. and doesn't care what kind of adulation he gets from the audience. Cactus is out to punish and hurt people. Um, one of those two characters could have been the, uh, the, 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 I guess, I'm trying to find the right word here, the... I, don't, I said resurgence earlier, but I guess maybe the resurgence of Mick Foley following yeah, that and, loss and you know what because again like given the role that china played for Tri- hunter hearst helmsley mm-hmm. <laughs> in, this, in this time period um who's to say that you don't get cactus jack versus china on an episode of monday night raw that would have I mean, maybe over at one night only 
you know, China's China, or, or or some uh, match that really highlighted China's role in this entire saga that is quite underrated. I mean, man, I, I know this. You know, go back to 1997. It was you know, a woman like China getting in the ring with with a dude would not be a bad thing. It was it was it was flirted with. I, I I will say I don't think that it was something that people totally accepted at that time. Uh, but if you went, you know, mid nineteen ninety eight, fast forward a few months later, it would probably have been more acceptable because the overall content of WWE programming at that time was very edgy. Where in nineteen ninety seven, you know, and heading towards the tail end of 1997 they were flirting with the edgier content in certain certain segments of the show not everything in 1997 was attitude you know and no, i no, no. so i feel like if like that china cactus jack one-on-one match scenario i could see it happening but not that time in 1997 fast forward a few months later in 98 where you got you know you got dx running wild you know all you know hunter x Pac, and the outlaws austin and mcmahon kane and the undertaker val venus the godfather you know choppy uh, choppy your pp like all that <laughs> all that stuff know, that took you know the classics yeah the cla- yeah exactly <laughs> the classics that define the attitude era you know the especially the choppy choppy your pp i mean it, it, that, that's classic but i i, I could see that more so mid 98 with cactus and china than late 97 yeah it would have been interesting again and i think it could have all been spawned from a true a hunter i gotta stop this a hunter hearst helmsley victory at you know the meadowlands would have i think probably seen a lot of these things or some of these things kind of play out it would have been very very interesting for sure yeah, definitely. All right, let's move on to the next match here. We had the loose cannon, Brian Pillman, representing the Hart Foundation, taking on Gold Dust. And as history saw it, if Brian Pillman lost, he would have to wear a dress the following night on Monday Night Raw. And as history saw it, he did lose to Gold Dust, and he did wear a dress the following night on Monday Night Raw. But what if Brian Pillman eked out the victory over the bizarre one gold dust i want to start off with this one because i'm a big brian pillman fan personally um the loose cannon character and after listening to the most recent episode of 83 weeks with eric bischoff regarding the creation of that character was very the, the story to get there was very fascinating to me but that character itself i thought the it was limitless in terms of what he could do during that time period. And I know you and I kind of discussed it on the SummerSlam 97 watch along last week, but I really feel like Pillman would have definitely been, despite his injuries would have been in that conversation with the, the, the stalwarts of the attitude era, like a mankind an Austin, a rock an undertaker, a triple H. I really feel like he'd have been in that upper echelon, despite his limitations because of his injuries um the the loose cannon nature that he had brought from wcw that you kind of flirted with bringing that over to the 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 wwf at that time and how they were really flirting with the uh the edgier content um the possibilities are endless for what he could have done uh, if he had won and did not have to wear a dress. I feel like in some ways 
he probably still would have wore a dress just to kind of freak everybody out and just to kind of get people talking. Uh, as we saw the month later at the Ground Zero pay-per-view, he he acted out the you know the victory over Goldust and he acquired the services of Marlena for for 30 days. Who's to say that wouldn't have happened sooner? Maybe that next night on Raw, he would have. Uh, he would have, you know, because he won, he would have, you know, added that stipulation sooner and we wouldn't have gotten the ground zero match. I mean, when it comes to this match, even though it wasn't the greatest match to watch, like, you know, like we watched on that watch along last week, uh, I feel like the Pillman character definitely could have benefited more than Goldust with a victory here. I'll disagree. Okay. Um, and there's I nothing wrong with that. That <laughs> we have to take into consideration the unfortunate, untimely passing of Brian Pillman yep. at Bad Blood in October. Yep. So I think if we're going to trade places and reverse roles, that's probably one thing you cannot reverse. Yeah. Sadly. Yep. Um, However, I think you're right in that it would expedite the process. So my disagreement with this would be, I feel like, is that both of these characters, given where they stood, I think, in the hierarchy of WWF programming, there wasn't a lot of long-term fixed into what they were doing. Now, I think it would have expedited the, the Terry, Marlena, Stockholm Syndrome type aspect they were going with. But at the same time... A Brian Pillman win probably doesn't do a whole lot for him. I, well, I don't. Let, let's put it this way: I think it does a lot for him there. But for Goldust, Goldust looks like a little punk. You know what I mean? Everything about Goldust and his androgynous mystique is now f- close to gone. But that androgynous mystique was kind of taken away with those those similar interviews that he had earlier in the year, where he almost was humanized. Where you you you. You got to see the man, Dustin Reynolds, behind that paint. Yeah, does, you know what he, I mean? Does he, does he does he win? Or, I mean, does Pillman winning make you want to root for Goldust, though? Me personally? Are we, too, are we not close enough to that yet? You know what I mean? Again, I, I'm bookending this angle with Brian Pillman, unfortunately, passing away. So that's, that's kind of how I'm setting the terms, personally. It's but, hard not to. I mean, yeah, like you said, you can't, you, you can't but, you know, um, reverse that, obviously. But... Gold, gold dust. I mean, this kind of was a you know, unfortunately, Pillman's untimely passing kind of sets a you know down a chain of events that doesn't really favor his professional career at all. So I want to I want to I want to ask I guess is how does gold dust losing help gold dust? Where does gold dust go? Because I know I th- I think it's very fair to to, to chart where Pillman goes up until October but where does gold dust go I think I think in that all right you know I'm, I'm glad you kind of reversed it and turned the tables on me a little bit there I mean I could kind of see gold dust I dug the artist formerly known as gold dust I'm not gonna lie I it was a different twist to him and he had brought different luna. yeah with luna yeah. and adding that into the situation I felt like luna was a better fit for him in some ways than 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 Marlena I really did, but um, I could I could a gold dust loss. I could see everything that took place in in 
late 97 going into 98 where he had transformed into the artist formerly known as Goldust, I could see the, all that taking place with a Goldust loss because of Goldust's, um, I guess, I don't know, I guess you could say like the humanizing of, of the Goldust character not really working for him and kind of almost kind of going like in some ways, like you said, with Cactus, going back to, to, to your roots and to what you know. So so he's the natural. He's the natural Dustin Rhodes? No, well, no, no, no. I'm because, talking about the Goldust character. I'm not put, talking. You could put a natural Dustin Rhodes out there and call him a bad guy. Like, you know what? I you gave him my best shot. You could, but Steps I mean. away from daddy's footsteps. You know what? I'm throwing, the, I'm, I'm throwing the cowboy boots back on and I'm doing it. You know, better than daddy. You know, as, as silly as that sounds. You know, that, that is a relatable concept to, to kids and the relationships with their fathers that I think could have had an impact, could have resonated more so than, you know, I'm just going to do my best insane clown posse impersonation and, and find my most crazy girlfriend to, to hang out with me. You know? I mean, yeah, you could. Yeah, that's that's definitely an option. I'm not I, I won't rule that out. But the the. The over-the-top nature of that artist formerly known as Goldust character that he had transformed into from late 97 into early 98, I felt was even more bizarre than the original Goldust. And I almost felt like, and I'm trying to word this properly without coming across like I'm fantasy booking, but I almost felt like that would have been a good instance where if they could bring Dusty in, and be like, what the hell are you doing, kid? Like, what the hell has happened to you? Like, you have let this, like, you, 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 you've taken this thing way too far. You know what I mean? Like, too much with the face paint and the, and the coupon <laughs> clip and the Copenhagen. You know what I mean? American Dream Dusty Road Line, the public, if you will. No, but in all seriousness, like, I feel like, yeah, granted, Dusty worked for WCW at that time. But if Dusty wasn't under contract, I feel like the... Him kind of going over the edge and dumping Terry and, you know, aligning with Luna and being even more androgynous than he was as the original incarnation of Goldust. I would have I felt like maybe Dusty coming in and trying to prevent him from reaching his mental breaking point would have been a, a nice twist to the story, you know. Um, and, and maybe that's where you would get back to the natural and the, the scenario that you kind of had, had, had proposed. I mean, I think a gold dust loss could have benefited him in that particular scenario. I, yeah, I think it brings about, it brings about the, the possibility for that to take place. But the attitude error I think showed us is that they were willing to just try anything. And, um, I think that's where, you know, at, at that age, being what ninety seven, so I was what eight years old. You know, I pro- I didn't project a, I didn't project you know, the artist formerly known as Goldust as a character progression for Goldust at that point. So you know what, it was unpredictable. It was interesting. Um, I think I think that Goldust is, and again, I think you have to you have to answer all this question about what happened at ninety seven SummerSlam with pairing it with Pillman's untimely death as where would have Goldust been? And I think Goldust, I think, like you said, could have been a very freak creature, could have been an interesting guy, but the timing of it all, the arc of it all, does it all change because of what happened? I know we're talking about SummerSlam 97, but does it change after Bad Blood 97? But again, I think in many ways, I think you get to the same place based on the... um, creative 
intrapreneurial spirit that mm-hmm. was with about within WWE, you know, in the brain trust. Let's just go in that direction. Let's have let's have them dress up like a porn star and throw you know garter belts on them and all that weird SMM stuff. Let's just do it. Screw it. Yeah. And honestly, they wouldn't have been wrong either way. I don't feel like. And that's hindsight being twenty twenty. Yeah. But Goldust, um, to me, the bloom fall of the rose with him, you know, after Piper. So really, he, yeah, absolutely. Really, he was so interesting in a, in a in a very odd way, like in a very you know you, you, talk you were interested him. in him at, at that young of an age. I will say interested in this way and and in the way that you sit in the room with your parents and you watch a movie. And someone takes their clothes off and your parents say, don't look. And you just cover your eyes and you just kind of spread your fingers a little bit. And you say, I'm not looking. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. But you're damn well sure looking. And I think that's what Goldust was. And that was the intent. And once Piper, to me, and again, we're going backwards here. But to me, Goldust was in a very, after 1996, he wasn't very interesting. Um, and, and I think I might have touched upon this afterwards, you know, last week. Gold, this dude has a dad? Like, come on. Like, he's married to that girl? They have a daughter? Where Where is she? You know what I mean? Even yeah. at that age, I'm like, where is their daughter? Yeah. They wrestle on Monday Night Raw every week. Who's it's, watching that kid? Who takes care of that kid? <laughs> Thank God it's not gold dust. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, ah, uh, like the, the babysitter right over here. Right. Right. Yeah. The American <laughs> dream babysitter. Yeah. That's right. Baby. You know what I mean? So I think it would have, to me, the prospects of this, you know, trading places would have been where gold dust went. And, um, again, I think it would have been very interesting. Like I, as I've outlined where he could have gone and I, and it could have been a, opportunity for him to be fought from from underneath okay. again attitude error being what it is they could have flipped the switch like they ended up doing a month later and, and going where they went so it's very it's just again six and one and half dozen the other all right interesting take i, I that was that was a that i i dug that one i i really dug that one because of the different directions and where we uh where, where we went off on that um here's one that i'm i'm gonna let you go first on this one because Going back and, you know, after watching last week's Watch Along, SummerSlam 1997, which, by the way, you can find on SoundCloud.com. Search Kicking Out at 2, and you will find SummerSlam 1997, Watch Along, the debut, the premiere episode of Kicking Out at 2. And thank you all who have tuned in and downloaded that episode. It's greatly appreciated, and there's plenty more great content for you at Kicking Out at 2. Um the, the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal against the Godwins. History saw it that the Road Warriors defeated the Godwins with, what was it, a neckbreaker or a DDT or something like that? Yeah, not, so, not, not the, the Doomsday device. Not the Doomsday device. Not the, not the move that so, caused Henry Godwin to break his neck so that the Godwins can not well. wear T-shirts under their overalls and turn bad. But, yeah. <laughs> but a, a DDT or a neckbreaker or something. But anyhow thinking about this match as we were heading into recording this podcast i'm at a loss for words where either of these two teams would have gone so i'm going to kind of let you take the lead here okay. um 
with this one and maybe I can maybe I can bounce off some 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 different thoughts and different scenarios based on what you what you bring to this uh, to this match in this scenario the Legion of Doom defeated the Godwins like I said with a neck breaker not the doomsday device not the moneymaker in a very short and underwhelming tag team match the third match on that SummerSlam 1997 card but what if exactly so without further ado um, what if the Godwins eked out the victory? I surmise, and I, I, this is just coming to me now, I surmise the Godwin character as Vince McMahon sitting in his office one day and going, God damn, those WCW fans and their overalls and their <laughs> stars and bars. Missing and, teeth. Yeah, them wrestling. <laughs> We're in the entertainment business, pal. Um, I surmise the Godwin gimmick as a tag team you would see in Georgia or the Carolinas or Florida, just a very Southern gimmick. Yep. His vision of what a WCW fan would look like, would like, would appeal to. Um, so I think in that respect, the ceiling was pretty much set for the Godwins. Had they won though? You could have seen a a a longer arc to I want to just say maybe the Survivor Series, maybe the Royal Rumble, where they would have been a tag team contender. You know, knocking off the War, War, Road Warriors in 1997 would still be a big deal, and um, I think you would have had maybe a babyface New Age Outlaws run up with them you know, towards the end of 1997. Or, you, you know, there would have been, you know, uh, again, not projecting what would have happened in at, in Montreal. You would have had a combination of the Hart family, WWF tried and true, you know, entities, not running up against those wrestlers, those, <laughs> those southern, dimly lit, cloudy arena bingo halls of, of, of WCW with the Godwins, they would have run up against a crew like that. Um, that's just my bet. I think the Road Warriors, if, if there was a decision where the Road Warriors lost to the Godwins, it would have been to further the the, the strength of, of a team like the Godwins, ultimately to put over someone else. And I think you would have, like I said, the Godwins... Or the Godwins would have gone, would have been, you know, defeated by a combination of the Hart family, the New Age Outlaws, maybe a, a cactus and and chainsaw, you know. That have been an uh, that have been an interesting right. dynamic a dumpster match with those four oh. dumpster fires. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, <laughs> so again, yeah. I think you could have seen something more minute. Um, I still think at this point that the LOD was still that the, they were still trying to juice out whatever they could from them. Um, but again, I think it would have just been really interesting to see a Godwin team that would have taken that heel dynamic with no shirts on under those overalls, you know, and really, you know, attack that again, what was estimated to be a more regional WWF where they would have been almost foreigners. And it would have been, I think, very interesting for sure. Okay. Um, going from there, I mean... The, the the other than 
I, I could agree with you with the with the cactus chainsaw. I could kind of see that that direction going there, like working with guys like them. But I don't think that they would have really moved past, like you said, being uh, anything but stepping stone for another team to move forward. Maybe maybe we would have gotten the uh, Jeff Jarrett Tennessee Lee Association when they ended up becoming Southern Justice when they cleaned up their look and they wore the suits and they were just kind of like the, the the henchmen for Jeff Jarrett and Tennessee Lee. Maybe we would have gotten that a little sooner. Uh, I actually didn't mind that. People people laugh at that to this day, but I kind of thought it was a, it was a cool and a different twist uh, to it, I think it, it to could, change it them wor- up. It, that worked back then because, like I said, the WWF was a more regional company then mm-hmm. than it is obviously now and yeah. I think even to you and me you 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 uh see you you could point out a southerner that you know walking down the street and you know southern justice would have been eyesores in these parts yep oh yeah for sure now an LOD loss how does that affect them moving forward from SummerSlam 97 Honestly, no one's going to like this, but I think they become those jobbers to the stars. I think they become, you know, kind of what the Dudleys were in 2016, 2017. Given the rub to, 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 to young teams. Yeah, but they, no. yeah, they work those programs. They, 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 they highlight, you know, the next group of people. It kind of ended up being that way when you look forward to, like, you know, early 98. That's New Age did. Outlaws. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's what they become. Um, they were over the hill at that time. Um, I think maybe the, what dictated an LOD victory was the audience. Um, you know, they wanted to see the LOD win. They did definitely didn't want to see the Godwins win. Yeah. Um, and you could, you could just, you could hand them a victory in that sense. So I, yeah, I think you would have seen an LOD that would have kind of been marginalized and, you know, you can go back to the, well, well, it wasn't Vince creation. Of course he's going to undercut it. But you know what? There were big time names getting in the ring with them and just being associated with them. That a that makes a lot of dreams come true, and b that makes a lot of stars because they were probably the only tag team that ever really worked on top anywhere. Okay, okay, fair enough. All right, next match we had the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith defending the U the you know, I almost said Unified Championship, the European Championship against the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, and as history saw it because history sees a lot of things. It was Ken Shamrock that won the match by disqualification, if I'm not mistaken. Would that be correct? Yeah. Was, it, was it Shamrock that won the match by DQ, or was it Davy Boy that won by DQ? Because Shamrock... It was, it was Davy Boy Day by DQ. Okay, I'm sorry. My mistake. On the... On the uh, he did he just held the ankle lock a little too much or whatever. Was it, no, or was it outside on the floor with the dog food thing? You know, I think we did we did talk about that um, last week, and and I th- you know forgive us for you know not you doing know, enough research. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. Um, you know, as I as I want to pull it up here, uh, Shamrock was starting to get into that like character that would just kind of snap. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, we. Uh, let me see here. I'm sorry, guys. No, that's all right. Um, that's all right. 
while Justin's pulling up yeah. this information right now, head on over to Facebook and check out the W Figs Retro Wrestling Action Figures. I'm a part of that group. There's 10,000 members. You can get all kinds of retro wrestling action figures interacting with all 10,000 of these members from Hasbro's to LJN's, Mattel's, the current day action figures, Jacked, the, the, the Jack's action figures. I've dressed up my studio here at Kicking Out at 2 with a lot of these uh, Hasbro action figures. I got them in a glass case currently, and uh, it's a great group to be a part of a lot of fun guys to mix it up and talk retro throwback wrestling with and relive some of your childhood as you collect some of these wrestling action figures so like i said facebook head over there w figs retro wrestling action figures right now so yeah as i suspected as i recall the bulldog did win and it was on disqualification shamrock was a little too uh feisty for the liking of wwf rules which caused that little, like, character where he just kind of beat up everybody and everything, mm-hmm. which got a good pop. Um, you know what? If the if Shamrock wins, I, would, I, I couldn't put it too much different than the Bulldog tapping out. Bulldog tapping out, and then you get in a moment where the British Bulldog eats dog food. Uh, you know, or he, or he escapes, and you kind of you kind of hang that for Monday Night Raw later, but you he's got to eat the dog food the next night, yeah. or he's suspended kind of deal, or something, or you know I think, but you know what that would have been way worse than what they actually did. I think you know you birthed a character in Shamrock at that point that was just a madman, and um, you know I think again it it added to the unpredictability of what the Attitude Era became. Mm-hmm. So good on the Bulldog for uh, for tapping out, and 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 good on for the ref for really holding Ken Shamrock accountable because like I said I think Ken Shamrock was a guy who didn't know when to when didn't know when to quit and um a, a Ken Shamrock victory I don't think would have done really anything for him I think it would have made him I think you 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 would have looked at him like oh my god they're pushing this guy too far he's 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 you know he's not our guy you know what I mean he you know he's the he's Vince McMahon's guy well, because of the stipulation and because there were other stipulations that the Hart Foundation were involved in that we'll get into later, um, and the amount of, I wouldn't say, I guess you say hatred that the audience had for that Hart Foundation group, especially the American audience, because it was a geographical split between USA and Canada when it came to the Hart Foundation, would it have been for the audience a good payoff to see, even though... Shamrock didn't win the belt. Shamrock grabs that can of dog food and like forces it down Davy Boy's mouth. Would it have been? Would would that have been a, a good moment? It would have been a good moment if Davy Boy Smith threw up. Kind of like what, kind of like what Brett did with his with the kiss my foot yeah, against Jerry Lawler, King of the Ring. Some working puke in there and just yeah. <laughs> just, just just working canvas literally with his. With his, you know, fake throw up and dog food. Nobody puked re- in better in wrestling than when Ultimate Warrior puked from Papa Shango putting a spell on him, and oh he God, and he yeah. puked all over the doctor, and the doctor was still yeah, working he, on him. It was only it was yeah, <laughs> credit to that guy. Yeah, um, it would have only worked that way. Um, but again, I think it kind of sidestepped you from what the the norm was. A guy like Ken Shermack should have been the WWF champion for the minute he walked in. Yeah. But the attitude of what WWF was becoming knocked guys like Bret Hart and Ken Shermack off the normal path of championship glory and, you know, in place of more attitudinal, attitudinal uh, competitors. And, you know, 
fighting hard and, and, and making a you know bulldog tap only to have that reversed would you know would really show you how pissed off a guy like him could be if he were you know once that decision was made so it was um ultimately i know we're talking trading places it was the right decision i don't think it would have made ken shermack look up i think it would have expedited and i say this a lot in this episode but it would have expedited probably what ended up being his heel turn mm-hmm. i don't you know i know that didn't happen for almost a year later but Shamrock himself, I think, would have not been a very likable character had he beat up on a guy like the British Bulldog and made him eat dog food. That's a pretty humiliating thing. So, um, you know, it is what it is. I, I can't, I, I, you know, where the Bulldog goes, again, I, I'll cap his trajectory at Montreal since he was gone after that. Uh, the Bulldog at this point was just, you know, he was just an accessory to the foundation and Brett's mission. So... Um, you know, it was what it was. It was a curveball. Bulldog yep. not eating dog food because he oughta. So okay, all right. I mean, for, like you, like you said, this is you know we're we're trading places here. We're trying to keep with the concept, but I do agree in the sense that you know the, the way it went down with Shamrock being so um, unpredictable in nature, and you know. Uh, I don't want to say a loose cannon, but he was the world's most dangerous man portrayed to me on, uh, you know, as a kid watching this, that it made sense that he had snapped and he just kind of, you know, laid out referees and officials and he didn't really, you know, get it didn't mean that much to him for Davy boy to eat the dog food it was the fact that Davy boy had humiliated him causing yeah. the, dis- the disqualification. So, I mean, I guess it does make sense, but um, that's another one for me where it's like, I don't really, I don't really know necessarily where a, a reasonable route where either one of them would have gone that would have benefited both of them at that time. No, yeah, definitely. Like I said, it's it's uh, a guy like Ken Shamrock four years earlier would have been WWF champion at that time. So uh, what they were doing with him wasn't in those with that with those goggles on. So it was kind of to anyone's guess. So. Yeah. Might as well make it entertaining. And uh, a Bulldog victory, I think, wouldn't have been as entertaining. Or, excuse me, a Shamrock victory with with, uh, with Bulldog eating, you know, getting his hand, his hand raised wouldn't have been entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to throw you a little curveball here because we kind of talked about it on this, uh, on this uh, the, the, the watch-along last week, something that you didn't really prepare for. Before we get into the next match. Sure. What if somebody won that million dollars out of that coffin? <laughs> you want to do a trading places? Uh, what, what, what? How would how would have that been presented on the program? I mean, obviously it's like it's a, it's life changing money, but what would have happened if somebody won a million dollars live on pay per view at SummerSlam? Well, you don't have to go too far into it. I will say, if it was that kid, I'm sure he would have been, you know, the nature boy of his elementary school. Nation all night long. That kid has gotten so much pussy at nine years old, oh like you God. wouldn't believe. Like he would, were, I don't think he knows how to spell it. <laughs> if you were a Stone Cold Stan or whatever that guy was, <laughs> uh, you know what? If he was smart, he would he would uh, he would have taken Sonny and Sable out for a few dates that night and uh, really made dreams come true. He would have um, picked up the nicest double wide on the on the on uh, the block you know, for sure. He, if from a business point, if someone actually won that thing, it would probably incite another potential sweepstakes to happen. But, you know, that's not interesting to talk about at all. So um, we can continue moving on that. 
with the Disciples of Apocalypse and the Los Boricuas in an eight-man tag team match. History showed us that the Los Boricuas, and I don't want to keep saying that. I might be redundant with some of my words, but on that evening, it was the Los Boricuas that came out the victor. Uh, over the Disciples of Apocalypse with a little Nation of Domination uh, involvement in that finish as they were, they were surrounding the ringside area. I don't think we need to get too much into this here, but uh, would it have mattered if the DOA won? No, I don't think so. Did it really um, matter that they lost? Certainly not now. I think DOA winning would have only been sensible in establishing dominance but you know what again everything was just for trial just throwing stuff on a wall and letting it stick and the unpredictability of of what they were presenting on television i think didn't really lend themselves to a doa victory there's nothing redeemable about the doa they're badasses they're you know if you want to speed it up a little bit the sons of anarchy they're not good people yeah so if they were going to beat them they would have beat them mercifully and I think the Los Brugas winning would have been a, a little bit of a, you know, mischievous, cunning way to get there. Um, the DOA, or excuse me, the Nation of Domination getting in there, I think, was just a nice little reminder that, the, you know, about the warfare that takes place in WWE. Just, you never know what's going to take place. Uh, DOA winning, I think, you could have gone into more dominant route. And who knows? Maybe they're the guys who dispel the Godwins, you know, from earlier. Maybe they handle the New Age Outlaws. Um, that would have been my, because I know you'd asked me about this before, you know, who could have really broken out from this match. And I think the DOA winning and moving forward as a real badass group of big assholes, and they could have really done some stuff as, you know, victors here, you know, in the gang warfare that was 1997. I mean, it, I know that the, you know, with, like you said, with Sons of Anarchy, the motorcycle culture, uh, you know, has become more popular and prevalent in recent years. Uh, but I, I feel that if they capitalized on that motorcycle culture, in 1997 at that time i think the doa probably could have lasted a little bit longer and could have been like you said uh, a more dominant faction uh taken out like a new age outlaws or the goddens or even the road warriors you know they kind of had that like badass vibe to them that the road warriors portrayed for such a long period yeah. of time like that could have been like a passing of the torch i know we yeah. kind of saw those two teams mix it up in later in 1998 with lod 2000 and um you know what was left of the DOA. I know Crush had left not too long after the uh, the Montreal Screwjob, but I do feel like that that group, if they were to have put some serious stock into them, if with after a victory at SummerSlam, would have definitely needed like a mouthpiece, in my opinion, a manager of some sort, well, someone they to end up getting one. Remember, well, they got Paul Eller. Well, yeah, that but that was just that was just skull and eight ball at that point. The chains wasn't involved in that, and like I said, Crush was gone. But if so, do you think a Paul Ellering, if he was inserted earlier into the picture, and and yeah, and and, oh and, God. and brought in and and they really enhance the badassery, so to speak? I know it's not really a word of the DOA. 
Like, do you yeah, think do you absolutely. think that's something that would have worked and they would have sustained maybe a longer run? Definitely, yeah. I know. I mean, timing wise, you probably didn't. They weren't afforded that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul Ellering, I think, could have done for the DOA what Brock Lesnar or Paul Heyman does for done, Brock Lesnar. Well, Brock Lesnar gets done by Paul Heyman. Yep. Okay. Um, you know, Paul Heyman, Paul Ellering is that good, or was especially back then. So I think you could have seen a, ta- a Brock Lesnar tag team with a manager that could really preach about the message of the dominance of the DOA, and I think that could have been something that kick-started at this event, for sure. Okay. All right. Now we're getting to the, to, to the, to the main, you know, the main event matches, so the to semi. speak. The semi-main event and the main event of this pay-per-view. We saw Stone Cold Steve Austin defeat Owen Hart for the Intercontinental Championship and if Austin was supposed if Austin were to have lost he was supposed to kiss Owen Hart's ass pull down his little trunks and kiss him right on those cheeks and what we saw was unfortunately Steve Austin breaking his neck due to a Owen Hart tombstone in the middle of the ring and Austin you know in in a altered state, I guess you would say, uh, rolling up Owen Hart for the victory in what Austin calls the worst roll-up in the history of the business. Um, does uh, does does an Austin loss? And I, for me personally, I'll just go on record as saying it. If he lost, I wouldn't have seen him kissing Owen Hart's ass. Me personally, oh, I, I would have to agree with you there. There would have been a stunner. Action. There would have been a stunner or a low blow um, or something, you know. And he would have never kissed Owen Hart's ass because that would have totally sucked the life out of the the rebel spirit in Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, I think you would have gotten a situation much like I want to go back to the Pillman situation where mm-hmm. you can't really pick out and draw away what actually happened. Uh, a, a broken neck from Austin would have probably resulted maybe in an, own, own, an earlier own heart victory than anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? You would have probably gotten a very flunky finish or flunky presentation of he would have he would have, he would have gathered the pin and there wouldn't have been a rehearsed stunner ass kissing situation. They would have probably carried him out. Yeah, and it would have probably been a very more raw moment that we were than we were expecting, and for what it's worth, that was a very raw moment as it as it became. Yeah, um, but I think that you would have seen that just in, a, in minus the stun stunner middle finger situation, and uh, that's that's my simplest um, estimation of what could have happened uh, moving forward. Though I feel like you would have gotten a you would have still gotten the same rebel. And Stone Cold, who would have probably had to come back and kiss Austin or Owen's ass, and um, or they would have at least built up to it. Yeah, right. And they would have essentially brought us back to middle finger stunner. I'm not kissing your ass, and and kind of moved along with Steve because it would have made sense to kind of present him as that beat up, beat up warrior. So yeah, um, I know there was more that we that you, people probably wish we talked about with this, but I think given the limitations of what actually happened and what we can theorize would have happened. Um, it's very difficult to really eliminate a neck injury, which kind of impacted the entire man's career after this night. So um, again, it would have just, I think delayed what would have been a uh, rollout of the rebel that we know to be Steve Austin. Yeah. I mean, I don't see it really going in, in any other direction other than what you just explained. Okay. So now we're at the main event. Bret the Hitman Hart challenging The Undertaker for the World Wrestling Federation Championship with Shawn Michaels as the guest referee. 
There's a lot of moving parts to this. First of all, if Bret Hart loses his match against The Undertaker, he would no longer be able to wrestle in the United States of America. If Shawn Michaels had shown any favoritism towards The Undertaker and was biased against his enemy, Bret Hart, as the special guest referee, Shawn Michaels also would not be allowed to wrestle in the United States. The finish of this match saw Bret Hart spitting in Shawn Michaels' face after Michaels questioned Bret Hart's use of a steel chair, which was in the corner of the ring. Forcing Michaels, well, I shouldn't say forcing, but goading him into swinging that chair, Brett ducking, and Undertaker eating that chair, with Michaels realizing that his career is on the line. Yes, he just screwed the devil and got caught, but he's got to make the pin if he still wants to keep his, his wrestling career in the United States. Making the three count, Bret Hart the victor for the WWF Championship. This one is probably the most intriguing trading places scenario because there's so many moving parts. So with that being said, I'm going to let you start off with this. You're not going to like my response because I don't think it's very far. I think it's very conservative. If the Undertaker wins, it's because they wanted to make sure that Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels could both still wrestle in the United States. Um, I think it would have taken the title picture from The Undertaker into more of a direction with Shawn Michaels, which would have then probably taken it right to where we ended up becoming at Montreal. Um, I think, you know, you would have seen an Undertaker victory at the, maybe at the hands of Shawn Michaels or just at the, you know, assistance of Shawn Michaels in any way that doesn't violate the stipulation, if you will, but it would have brought Undertaker and Shawn Michaels Probably still to Hell in a Cell. And it would have eventually brought Sean in. For the WWF title? Uh, yes. And it would have probably brought Brett in, who would have wanted Shawn Michaels, due to his hatred for Sean, to interfere. To bring him into, you know, to bring him the victory. Which also is interesting in that it doesn't, it takes Kane out of the equation. Or does it? Does, so, again, does Kane show up? Does Kane interfere with The Undertaker? Does he interfere maybe the month after, the month before? I think Brett could have inserted himself in a match in such, such as Hell in a Cell or maybe even Ground Zero just to make sure that the guy he wants to beat for the title to, to, to really make his return full circle would be complete. And mm-hmm. I think that would have brought us to Montreal right exactly where we want it to be. And I know that's not as interesting and as uh, complex as we want, but I think it would have... Like I said, long and short would have put Undertaker and Sean in in the title picture, but ultimately transitioned it to Brett and Sean, which would have brought us to right exactly where we ended up being. Now, we kind of talked about this off air last week when we were discussing this concept, but same exact finish, roles reversed, Undertaker spits in Sean Michaels' face, Sean ducks and he nails Brett. I don't see that happening because Undertaker's character was not that kind of person. But let's just, for argument's sake, briefly here. Let's say Shawn Michaels did swing the chair at Undertaker for whatever reason. Taker ducks, and he hits Brett, okay, by accident, knowing it was an accident. But he's still forced to make the pinfall. Does Shawn not wrestle in the United States? Do they find a way to reinstate Brett back into the United States because Shawn technically screwed him over? And, and I think that's exactly what would have happened. Brett would have How won. does Undertaker? Undertaker would have won, and I think Brett would have 
begged, borrowed, and sealed to get Shawn Michaels back into the eligible graces of United States wrestling uh, by just so we could get his hands on him for costing him the title. And I think that, he, again, would have probably concluded at Montreal. Where does Kane insert in, in, into this situation? If, if Undertaker was the champion leaving SummerSlam and we knew of Kane's uh, eventual appearance from Paul Bearer, does Kane cost Undertaker the WWF championship at Bad Blood? Or even at Ground Zero, the uh, the, the month probably, following SummerSlam. Probably, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I think you see that. Um, you could even push it back to Survivor Series, where it would have meant a whole lot more, mm-hmm. uh, given the stage that it was on. Um, I th- Kane's trajectory, I think, changes within a month or so, either direction, from where it ended up being. Okay. I think, like I said, if, if, if Undertaker, Undertaker isn't the champion by November... And it's probably either because Bret Hart or Kane. And if I wanted to, uh, to definitively say how that happens, I think if it happens by ground zero, it's Kane. Mm-hmm. But if it happens by hell in a cell, bad blood, it's probably Bret Hart because Bret Hart wants Shawn Michaels as the WWF champion because he wants to beat Shawn Michaels. Which because Shawn beat him at WrestleMania. Exactly. It, yeah. you all it brings you back, back all the way to WrestleMania 12. And okay. it gets you that build to... What I think Jim Cornette said was it getting, you know, it took an act of Congress to get this match. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's cr- that's a great I way of putting it. He would have, and he, that's what he said. Yeah. The 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 rob. So I think <laughs> that would have kind of further, you know, lamented that point is that you would have gotten Bret Hart saying, "No, I want Shawn Michaels, and I want him in my home turf because, you know." That's what I want. And we hope you got everything you wanted out of this episode of Kicking Out of Two. Thank you all for listening and tuning in to the very first installment of our Trading Places series. I want to also thank my co-pilot, my offensive coordinator, if you will, my brother Justin, for helping me call and execute the plays here when it comes to SummerSlam 1997 and the role reversal. Uh, head on over to Facebook right now, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. Hit that like button if you haven't already. And uh, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, uh, what you like about the show, what you don't like, what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear, by all means, send me a private message and I'll do my best to make the listening experience the best for you. And while you're over there, you can look at pictures, videos, you can uh, read articles, you can start debates, discussions, anything retro, throwback, pro wrestling related. It's all over there at your fingertips on Facebook. So hit that like button and uh be a part of the madness at kicking out it too but the madness does not end there it carries over to twitter because we are also on twitter our handle is at kicking out two that's k-i-c-k-n-o-u-t and the number two the same madness like i said the same madness that we have over on facebook that we are creating that we are uh how do i what's what's a good word for it creating that we are uh We are, uh, yeah, I'll just stick with creating the same madness that we're creating on Facebook. Well, we're also uh, bringing that to Twitter, 140 characters or less. Tune in next week as uh, Justin's going to take the week off. I'm going to have my good buddy Chris Donovan join me, and we are going to discuss and dissect in long form the Shawn Michaels-Triple H rivalry from SummerSlam 2002, culminating in their non-sanctioned match, which would then result in Shawn Michaels' full-time return 
to the organization. Uh, that's going to be the very first installment of the My Favorites series. You want to know what the My Favorites are? Well, you're just going to have to tune in next week to find out. And now that that is all out of the way, I think it's time to put this show down for the three count. So I'm Dave Rosenbluth, and I will see you all next week.